something. Hello, this is, this is Sean Leary, and welcome back to QC Uncut, uh, your source for unedited, uncensored, unchained conversation with local newsmakers here in the Quad Cities. This is the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities, according to traffic. Um, we thank you for tuning in all the time to check out these interesting conversations that I have with local newsmakers. I talk to politicians, I talk to comedians, I talk to artists, anybody who might be interesting and make for an intriguing conversation I'll sit down and talk with and you know how it goes I press record and that's it we just have a conversation so you get to hear it unedited completely in context if I screw up you hear it if the other person screws up that you hear it you get to hear the whole conversation in its entirety as pure a form as it can no sound bites no editing nothing and here we go my guest today is Chris Schlichting, who is a well-known area comedian. He has done a lot of different things around the area, from stand-up to sketch comedy to improv. Pretty much thrown his hat in everything comedy-wise. Uh, Chris and I have worked together a couple times on Rock City Live and uh, Shots to the Heart, which were a couple of uh, shows that I produced. And Chris did uh, stand up for both of those, and um, he's also uh, got a number of other you know endeavors that he's working on as well. And of course, always doing stand up around the area. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff and um, things that uh, you know Chris has been up to. So if I if I sneeze, we we have to leave the sneeze in. Yes. Okay. If you sneeze, if you fart, if you do anything like that, then it's like and it's, it's in there. They get a raw it's sneeze. Raw. It's rough, like Chris. It. Interesting. Yeah. Uh huh. So let's. Uh, how did you get started in, in comedy? Was this something that you always wanted to do from the time you were a kid, or was this something that you came to relatively later on in life? Uh, were you one of those people that you know you kind of reach a certain point and you're just like, you know what, if I don't do this, my, I, I'm not going to be able to you know live with myself? Or was it something like from a very early age that you were like, I'm doing this? I think for me, I always was kind of the humorous one. I loved to be the center of attention, but I never really understood what stand-up comedy was. Or or what even comedy was in general. Uh, when I was in high school, I had to take a speech class, which is ironic because that's what I teach right now, but speech was mandatory. You had to get up there and speak in front of the audience, and I always had a real bad speech impediment. I couldn't say my awes. I couldn't. I always sounded like I was from New York. <laughs> in fact, I would fall back on that a lot. I would just tell people I was, but to sort of cope with the fear and the anxiety of public speaking, I would just uh, try to incorporate humor. I was in there with a lot of upperclassmen, so I got a thrill out of making you know juniors and seniors laugh when I was only a sophomore, and I was student council president. I I had to do a speech, and I used a lot of humor in my speech. I was able to become student council president, which was good and bad. Good because my speech was successful, but bad because I actually had to do a lot of work. I think <laughs> I think we raised like nine canned goods for the food drive that year. It was just real bad leadership. <laughs> so you're saying that you, you left a lot of people hungry and malnourished, Chris. Yeah, exactly. You're a horrible president. I was the first high school student council president they actually actively tried to impeach. There was a <laughs> petition going around in the hallway. Uh, I made it to graduation though, and I got to give the graduation speech. Uh, the valedictorian went up first. That was not me. But the student council president went up after that, and that was me, and I incorporated a lot of humor. And it was my biggest kind of show to date. You know, there was like 1,500 people in there, parents, kids, and stuff like that. So that was my Madison Square Garden. That's where I was kind of hooked on whatever this was. Still wasn't really quite sure what stand-up comedy was. But I go to college, realize that football is not going to pan out. Now I'm 
in college with nothing that kind of stands out, you know, no more athlete, no more sports. And I took a playwriting class. I, beca- I was a theater major because communications, you had to have theater and communications. So that's why I developed a lot of the skits and stand-up because I wasn't on the same level as a lot of these actors who were on scholarship. So I would just kind of make my own thing. And those w- developed into like comedy bits. There was a local comedy club in town. I went to Cornell College, a small liberal, art, liberal arts school. Cedar Rapids had Penguins Comedy Club. They had an amateur comedy contest. My friends sort of dared me to do it. I wrote five minutes on my ex-girlfriend and the movie Teen Wolf, believe it or not. And I ended up winning that contest, and I was kind of hooked ever since that day. So was, your, was your ex-girlfriend in Teen Wolf, or was there <laughs> no, significant yeah, for was, that? I, and that's kind of a point for me. Stand-up comedy, trust me, I want the fame and the glory, Sean, but it's always been very therapeutic to me. Whenever something happens in my life, I can always fall back on finding the humor in it. In fact, if I find myself depressed or sad, I'll look at my life and say, what's missing? It's because I haven't got on stage in a while. So comedy, at the time, I just broke up with my ex-girlfriend, and I was having a hard time dealing with it so the comedy was very therapeutic and i just always thought the concept of teen wolf how everybody was okay with this crypto zoology like this cryptoid playing basketball i just was blown away by everyone was okay with that i'm not i'm not quite sure whether your ex-girlfriend in quotations was michael j fox i don't know or you were left for a teen wolf or you were left for a werewolf what was it chris that's people want to know the the listeners want to know at that time in my career i wasn't really good at transitions so i think i just talked about my ex-girlfriend and then moved on to speaking of teen wolf i don't know but Hey, I ended up winning. It was a good strategy to bring like 50 friends that I knew to all celebrate me. I still have that footage someplace that was maybe 14 years ago, and it's a difficult listen. A lot of vocalized pauses, a lot of no punchlines, but I think the fact that the comedy club knew that I brought in like 50 people, so they were like, yeah, let's let's let him win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I that's how I realized I wanted to do this. I won a $25 gift certificate to Applebee's. Eh? So it was kind of my first... Start a new relationship. Yeah, my first paid gig, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, I was hooked ever since. And it's ironic because, Sean, I did that set and it went great. And then they invited me the next weekend to do, to do a guest set for some comedian. I did the exact same set and nobody laughed. And it was like, most people were like, I'm done. Had they heard it already? They were like, know. you know, I've heard, I've heard enough of this Teen Wolf stuff. I think it was like... Chris, we need we need some material on Back to the Future. I think my 50 friends were not there, and so most people would have been like, I'm done with comedy, but I was kind of fascinated with why does it work sometimes and why does it not. And I'm still, to this day, fascinated with how can you win over a bunch of strangers and you know get them on your side so that's what i'm hooked on with comedy well you, when you do that you always hope that there are a lot of people in the audience that have also been dumped in lieu of a werewolf so <laughs> exactly. you know i mean how can you compete with that <laughs> exactly. you know listen i can't turn into a werewolf if that's what you're wanting then you know you got to take your own path so uh did you grow up around the quad cities did you grew up in cedar rapids um what were you like growing up as a kid i grew up in in the quad cities uh i was a middle child so i think that had a lot to do with my you know, wanting to stand out and wanting to get attention. I was a local boy. I've been a local boy my whole life. Catholic schools. Uh, so I got a lot of that Catholic guilt, which incorporates itself sometimes into my act. But, yep, I've been local. I was born in the Quad Cities, and unfortunately, I think I'll die here. <laughs> I'm not saying the Quad Cities is a bad place, but 
I do. I want to get away. I'm not gonna lie, Sean. Uh, I've had a taste of New York and I've had a taste of LA. And every time I go out there, I'm like, man, I really wish I would have made. This I really, real sh- wish I could die here. You know? <laughs> yeah, which I, can be arranged, especially in New York. Especially with my knowledge of the city. <laughs> go to East LA, Chris, and somehow I think your wish may be granted. So I've had a we've we vacationed out there before, and I was always afraid to make the move out there because I always say if you're gonna struggle in the arts, you might as well struggle in a big mecca of the arts, and that way you have a better chance of getting discovered. That's why I always tell these young comics when they want advice, I'm like, move, get out of here, go to go someplace where you can get a taste of it, and then if it doesn't work out, come home, come home and set up shop and do that. But unfortunately, I have like 20 kids now that I don't want to <laughs> give or take that I don't want to raise in LA or. New York. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not quite ready for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> the 20 kids, Chris, let's talk about that. Is that the Chris Schlichting Foundation that we heard so much about? <laughs> the Scott's Tots. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's ironic, too, because I was always a solid comic, and then I was always pretty decent, and then it's funny, when I, got, when I had kids and got married, in that order... Uh, I suddenly got really good because now it was sort of a desperation thing to hold on to this dream. I also opened up a whole new audience with people that have kids and are married. Uh, unfortunately, though, at the time, my kids were so young, I started, we had twins right away, which was fun. And I wasn't allowed to travel as much because I was actually needed at home. Oh, yeah. So be, it was kind of a, a double-edged sword of getting more material, but also not being able to travel as much. Now, however, my kids are a lot older, 12, and the boys are 10. My daughter's 12, the boys are 10. And I'm able to, they're a little bit more self-sustaining, and my, my wife understands that now it's about extra commission. It's not about, back in the day, I would get paid in like free drinks or like gas money, which didn't fly but now it's actually I'm at a point in my career where I can demand you know I can demand a pretty penny because I, I do think I'm f- pretty decent that's why you're interviewing me right well right yeah you are I, you, you've always you know done a good job whenever we work together on any of the shows I've always thought you're really you know one of the best comics in the area why are you I mean really you're reading that off a piece of paper you, <laughs> <laughs> that's on the back of the check that you gave me Chris oh, yeah well hey we gonna cut that it is a, a, no yeah so, so that'll be the one time where it's uh, censored so um what is that like? I mean, I know uh, for myself, like, um, I've no, done nowhere near as much stand-up as you have. Um, but, I mean, obviously I've done sketch comedy and stuff like that and improv and other different things and a lot of comedy writing. And I know it was very different for me um, when I didn't have a kid. Yeah. And when you do, you know, it's just a, it's a big transition, you know. And it's weird because you think about things. First, you start off thinking about things differently. And then you stop and you go, well, why am I thinking about things differently in regard to this? And it opens up a lot of different avenues that you did not think of before because you had, didn't have that experience. What was that like for you? What was that transition like as you were starting out? You're a single guy. You don't have any kids. You're not, you know, married or anything like that. And um, now you've got, you know, you're married. You've got kids and everything else. A whole different comedic aspect to things. And how do you uh, kind of um, merge the two sides? Where you bring in some of the stuff from before into now, and you know, yeah, vice versa. It's funny because when I first started. I- I wasn't really taking comedy serious. It was more about uh, trying to have a good time, right. meet girls. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of my act was borderline pathetic. How it was me just trying to meet new people, new girls, especially, and you know, trying to like party and have a good time. 
But nevertheless, I, I was still writing jokes. It takes a long time to write jokes, so I had this 30-minute set. It takes of, a long time to write good jokes, Chris. Yeah, exactly, it does. <laughs> 30, no time at all to write shitty jokes. 30-minute <laughs> set that I developed over the years that was solid, but it was the single guy, Chris, you know, living on the edge, which is pathetic. But um, And then when I got married and had kids, I'm like, do I just lose this 30 minutes of comedy that took me six or seven years to develop? And I remember... I would do the same act and my wife came to one of the shows and she's like, what's this, all this stuff about you being single now and stuff? And I'm like, do I just lose those jokes? And she was pretty much was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> so now I have a whole other section of my material about being married. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's pretty ruthless. And I'm like, well, no, I actually have permission. And I think it's my wife prefers that. And she knows all of my material is based in facts. It's just, you know, I caught the fish. It just wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. So... I I try to monitor not only the fact that I have a wife and kids now, I'm also a high school teacher, which is sort of my Clark Kent. I was going to ask you about that, too, because, like, how is that? uh, Keep on going in regard to this, but then, like, uh, the the next question I was going to have is, like, how does that cross over, given the fact that you're a teacher, you've got to deal with, like, parents, and you're a high school teacher, which means that some kids could be listening to some of your material. How does that cross over? Especially in the day of social media. I've never considered myself a dirty comic. Uh, Originally, when I first started, there were a couple of bits where were a little more risque, I guess you could say. But I had a couple incidents where people would look up my stuff on YouTube, so I definitely had to clean house a little bit. But now I'm very confident to say that you could find anything. And especially for what I teach, public speaking and theater classes, I'm sort of practicing what I preach. But, yeah, there was a little bit of... Uh, I was worried about some of the material, the kids finding it. But today's day and age, these kids—if if what I say offends you, then you you truly are offended. But because my material is pretty PG thirteen, and I pride myself in that because I'm not really a dirty person to begin with. I know this is uncut, and I know you want me to say something vulgar, but you may get a sneeze out of me at the most. But that's it. And, no, pe- people don't. People, <laughs> people don't really say any. Then that's the thing about the, the podcast is that it's really just meant to be. When people first hear the title and everything, they think like, "Oh, it's like going to be like R-rated." People are going to like be dropping f bombs and blah blah blah. But not really. It's usually it's just the the whole the podcast started out. Um, with me talking to politicians because um, there was all the stuff going on. The origin of it was when all the Walmart stuff shook out in Rock Island. Everybody was pissed off oh, yeah. about all the Walmart money. Um, a lot of the politicians were I, that I knew were mad because all the media, you guys in the media, all you do is you know you take one little sound bite and you take oh, yeah. one little quote and that's it and blow it out of proportion and blah 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 blah. Then I was trying to do a story on somebody. And they were pissed off. This is back when I was working for the, the Times, and they didn't. They were like, you know, had an antagonistic relationship towards me because they were ticked off about mm-hmm. something else somebody else had written. And so I got the idea. You know, why don't I do a podcast where, you know, you just hit record and everything's in context. Yeah, you don't have any sound bites. It's right there. Anybody can talk about whatever. That way, you know, you can't complain and say, oh, you took me out of context or you, you know, you chopped this up or you just went for a sound bite or you, ch- you edited this out yeah, and everything else, sense. blah, blah, blah. Well, that way, you know, people can have their entire side of the story told and then the listener can just listen to it and make up their own damn mind, you know, which I think is especially for a lot of these political issues and things like that. Like one of the last guests I had was Bridget Ehrman, who's talking about the courthouse in Rock Island. And that's one of those issues where you can't just 
go by sound bites. Well, you got tear it. it down or not? Yes. Is that, yeah, 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 exactly. And so, you know, I wanted to get both sides on the issue, talking at length about that. Mm-hmm. Now, something like this when I'm talking to you, or Rick Davis, or Patrick Adamson, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's just you know, it's just funny discussion, exactly. and people get to listen to it. But um, but yeah, and I think that that's useful too, is because that way. Having written for the newspapers for as long as I have, and I realize how constrained you are, and it's not like a nefarious scheme by the newspaper editors. It's just the fact that you're in newsprint. You know, there's a very limited amount of space, and even online, they tend to just want you to write short. Mm-hmm. And with something like with QuadCities.com, given that I'm in charge of all the content. I can, and write as long as they want. They can write as much as they want. As long as, as, long as somebody reads it, then that's cool. You yeah, know? I, th- I think you see, maybe in the same context, I, th- I think you see a lot of that for as long as I've been doing comedy. Uh, Occasionally, you run into people that promote themselves really, really well, but maybe do not put the time in in terms of the actual craft of comedy, which is frustrating for me because I don't necessarily promote myself really well, but I do consider myself a really solid comedian that can open up or you know entertain any sort of room. But you see these people that have maybe been doing it for a couple of months, and I don't know if they just have better access to technology or maybe know people that are better equipped to do all the social media stuff but they're promoting themselves like they're the next you know i don't want to say louis ck because that's outdated but uh you know the next jerry seinfeld Did you're the you next person that's that? going to be em- yeah. embroiled in controversy over sexual harassment yeah so so it's a high bar chris that's, frus- that's frustrating to me because i can tell you're thinking about somebody in particular too at least one person no, locally that you are thinking about because you could just tell you don't bring something like that up without thinking of one or two people i just think the cream always rises to the top is that a fair analogy where it is that is i think it's a very diplomatic way of putting that when i know secretly you want to rip on something no there's no one in particular but (laughs) when you turn this off we'll talk uh no but that always has been frustrating to me but i I do pride myself in working cleaner cleaner which allows me to open up more doors especially have more gigs i've done everything from charities after proms clubs i just last weekend i was in peoria opening up for gilbert godfrey who is in my opinion one of the most i love him but he's like so dirty he's incredibly dirty and it made me look good because i think a lot of people went to see him and not expect maybe didn't know anything about him maybe know him as the bird from aladdin and so they watch him well they obviously haven't seen the aristocrats yeah our problem child one and two (laughs) so it made me look good that i can still open up with him even though we have really nothing in common but i can't say enough good things about gilbert just a gentleman off stage and honestly like he had jokes he had punchlines granted they were made you want to take a shower afterwards because they were so dirty but i mean people don't really write like that anymore i feel like i feel like he's almost been grandfathered in with the he's he's respected by everybody and it was truly an honor to meet him and work with him and and learn just by observing him so let's talk about that because that's that's an interesting thing you bring up is the dirty versus clean um and i know there are a lot of comics around here who are who are both and they're good comics who, who do both sides of things. Um, being that we're in the Quad Cities, you see a lot of people who are kind of working on their craft. Mm-hmm. We're not L.A., we're not New York, we're not Chicago. What? I mean, I know, hard <laughs> to believe, but, you know, if you go to a bigger city, obviously you're going to see people who are like Gilbert Gottfried who have been doing it for 10, 20, 30 yeah, yeah. years. They're, you know, at a certain pinnacle. Here we tend to see 
especially among local people, people who are working on their stuff. And sometimes you'll have, you know, somebody hits on something really well. Sometimes things don't work, but that's mm-hmm. part of the process. It's part of workshopping it. And you know that. Um, what um, is that like around the local comedy scene? Do you see like where people are debating, okay, well, do I go clean on this? Do I go dirty on this? Is this something where I'm, you know, is it a conscious choice? Is mm-hmm. it just people reflecting where they're at in life? Or do you think that it's something where, you know, they're stopping and thinking, this is what I'm going to do yeah, and th- try to create a persona. I think you got to find your own niche. I, I personally feel like working cleaner gets you more work. So I always tell these comics, I'm like, I, I heard your set, but, and I was listening to it. Do you need, you know, that fuck bomb as just an adjective? Because if you take that out, you realize you don't even need it. So I think it makes you develop more of your character and who you are. Like for me, to avoid being heckled, I always was real self-deprecating. I would always make fun of myself to kind of defend myself. But the open mic scene here in the Quad Cities is usually at bars, usually late at night. Usually your clientele is pretty pretty inebriated right. and a little rougher. So it's easy to kind of fall into that, I need to be dirty to entertain this crowd. But like you mentioned, we're just for me, I'm just workshopping this material to get to a next level. So I may have to sacrifice the laughs for my cheesy you know, owl joke, but if I can hear it, I always record my sets, and if I can you know, analyze it and make sense of it, then I, I can use it for the future. But a lot of these open mics, you know, my kids will often say, oh, Dad, can we come with you? Can we come watch you know, my, my, my children, my students? And I'm like, yeah, you can come watch me, but I can't speak for the other you know, six or seven, eight or nine comics that may be a little you know, rougher. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it doesn't fit into my character. There have been jokes that I've written that I'm like, oh, I'll give this to Donnie or another local comic who I think it would be right up their alley. But I always encourage him. Can you break that down and can you find a way to not cuss in it and can you find a way to work cleaner? Only if you want to keep pursuing that. Now, there are a lot of people that go to open mics just to go to open mics. Mm-hmm. I never wanted that. I always wanted to feature. I always wanted to be the MC at the comedy club. And it's tough around here because we don't necessarily have, you know, Penguins is no more. Right. I used to live there. I used to work there. I used to, you know, bartend there just so I could rub shoulders with a lot of the comics passing through and learn from them. But unfortunately... That's no more, so I feel bad for a lot of these comics that are starting. They don't have the setting to kind of grow, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I miss. There's no Now, there is the establishment does fine work, uh, the speakeasy. You know, I'm, I've started this thing at the Renwick Mansion, which I'm really proud of that we should talk about later. Right. But um, Andrew King does Biter Bomb. Yeah, yeah. Biter Bomb and Boozies, which I've developed so many jokes there, and I know the Raccoon Motel also is getting back to comedy. So there are places to go. It's just in terms of it actually being a comedy club. It's not. There are no, there's no comedy club here, and I think right. sometimes you need that atmosphere to sort of develop your craft. And luckily, I had that at Penguins here in the Quad Cities, and when I was in Cedar Rapids going to school, I had it both summer and the you know fall and winter and spring. Wow. So it was. It's how I became who I am today. I think learning from those people. Yeah, I mean, it's inter- it is interesting, like I said, because like, I was talking about this with Rick Davis, too, because he was just on it. He's another yeah, clean yeah. comedian. Patrick Adamson was yep. another guy I had on the I show, and he's another clean with, comedian. Yeah. Um, me, I, I mean, you've seen my shows. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff is raunchy as hell, yeah. and some of the stuff is, like, totally clean. So I like to do have both sides. It depends on the material. It depends on, like, okay, this is something that's funny about something that's intrinsically really raunchy, yeah. then there's what the comedy is. If it's something that doesn't need to be raunchy because it's... and it, would seem forced yeah 
like you know there was a sketch I did about two kids sitting in the back seat teasing each other and pestering the crap out of each other you don't need that to be dirty obviously Uh because it's a couple of kids who are pestering the shit out of each other you know but on the other hand you know there's some comedy that obviously it benefits from being a little raunchy Mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to shock or you're trying to you know get a point across that's a little bit more on the R-rated side but um you know, it's interesting to me to see, like, because I like, you know, there are a lot of comedians I like from both sides. And there are times when, given the fact that everybody here is sort of morphing and finding their own character, there are times when I've seen comics, and I'm like, oh, I really like that set. And I'll see him again six months later. I'm like, oh, you know, I like what, you know, they got to work on the material yeah. more. Yeah. And so what it's... Uh, what is it, you know, from your perspective, what is it like for you when you have that killer material and it's going really well, it's going really well, but you realize I got to start developing some new stuff and then that stuff doesn't work as well yeah. as, as some of the old stuff does and you're thinking, ah, shit, well, like, I really got to really workshop this because that's just a natural thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a natural evolution in it, the it career is, of any artist. It is frustrating. Um, Drew Hastings, who's been a comic forever, uh, he gave me the advice. He told me, like, if you're, not, if you're not growing, if you're not continually to write, you're not growing. You know what I mean? You always have to put yourself out there and try stuff. But it is scary, especially with who I am. I usually feature, so I usually get 25 to 30 minutes before, like, the big headliner, like Gilbert or another comic. So I only have 25 minutes and I know my material works because I've developed it but I'm also you sometimes get bored with it and you almost want to try something I I feel like you should try something new every single time even if it doesn't really pan out that's why I really try to utilize these open mics and really try to get something new now when you're headlining you get a little more time 45 minutes to an hour and there's a chance where you can actually develop your character more I'm always torn though Sean like I'll be having a good set and it's like going great I'm like you know what I should try that new bit I've been working on Mm -hmm. then you try that new bit and you're like that was not ready at all and now i've ruined my perfect set that i was striving for which never exists but you always i have a challenge i always have notebooks i try to write something every single day even if it's just a premise something that you can develop more with like i've been writing about these you know this crazy temperature and this weather even if it doesn't have a punchline yet you can always come back to it but you you have to kind of force yourself to write otherwise it gets stale and if you saw me perform Tonight, if you saw me two weeks on the road, I'd want you to see new stuff. Uh, I, I just I feel you owe it to the fans. I don't know. I just I think you always want to be developing for the sake of your sanity. Um, but I've been telling I've been telling the same jokes. You know, I still tell that Team Wolf joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's still they're like your little babies, and you want to hold on to them. But at the same time, it's really thrilling to tell a joke that works, and then you tell it again the next night, and it works. Then you tell it again, and it works. You're like, holy cow! I think I just added something to my bag of tricks that's a really thrilling feeling but it is rare it's hard like you said to write good solid jokes i also feel though that whenever you have a new audience you owe it to this new audience to do the stuff that you know works especially because they haven't heard it before exactly so if you know my goal my dream is to eventually maybe get on conan i've always wanted to be on conan or fallon and these my set will be jokes that i'm 10 years old because these are the jokes that I want to put on. You know, I'm not going to... I'm like, Conan, I got some new stuff that I'm working on. <laughs> like, it's experimental. We'll go okay. Uh, no, I'm, I, I'm developing these jokes that I know work. But just for my thrill, the sake of my sanity and growing as an artist, you always want to try to develop new stuff. It's hard, but it's, it's rewarding in the long run. So, 
let's talk about some of the ways in which your career has kind of evolved. You're starting to do Schick News, which you've been doing for a while, which mm-hmm. is kind of like these little like, mini news bits that yeah. you that you put together. Um, what are some of the other things that you've been working on that you and I have been t- I've been trying to get you to do a podcast for the website for yeah. like two years, you lazy ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I am, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's a great I'm idea. Not. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's a great idea. And then I never hear anything back from you. So, um, so what are some of the things aside from the podcast that eventually you'll do for our website that you're working on that you're really happy with? I, uh, I'm a firm believer in utilizing social media to sort of, yes, we live in Iowa. Yes, we live in the Midwest. But I think social media is a way to sort of branch out and do other things. So I am always trying to put – my Facebook is not serious. It's all – fake it's all jokes it's all bits so i try to put uh movies out there the schlick news is sort of me reporting the weather going live is a thrill for me because i'm so used to being scripted that for me to go live it's it's my impromptu skills coming out my improv people asking me questions and trying to develop that but i've worked hard to kind of develop a following and just to keep it fun because i believe that what i put out there is entertaining and just kind of gets people to relax but Social media, Instagram, Twitter, I always try to put something out there just to kind of catch fire. Uh, I, I befriended this Mark guy who shot the analog commercial that I did recently. We developed a friendship, and we sort of came up with an agreement that he'll shoot my ideas, and we'll just put it out there. And it's really great to have such a professional camera person like Mark and and me kind of working together. And just unexpectedly, I'll just put something out there, and I don't know what I necessarily want out of it. I just, you know, maybe I just like the likes or the comments, but I just try to make people laugh and have a good time now there's always people out there that for some reason think it's stupid or hate on me but i could care less because i do it for me it's rewarding like you said it's very creative another one of my favorite quotes is kevin pollock who was in a few good men and willow (laughs) is that is that a good option to bring up willow out of all the movies of brownie but he's a comic too he does a lot of impressions and stuff but he has a great quote that i live by don't wait create Mm -hmm. so don't wait for your ship to come in don't wait for conan to call create create now do something now and but i'm also with that said sean i'm also a perfectionist so you know you keep getting on me in this podcast but if i don't don't really have an idea so i don't like to necessarily even like talking to you right now i really want this to be good or have you know i want people to enjoy it but it's also like scary for me because i'm not really planned out right now Mm So that's just that's I mean, and that's something I talk to artists. I talk to people about that all the time. It's like I'll be doing book signings or something, and I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody came up and was like to, and started telling me about their book that they've been working on for ten years or whatever. And so, and I always tell people like, oh, I don't know, what kind of advice can you give me? Well, one, like you know. Um, buy one of my books, and you know <laughs> that's the kind of advice I can give you at a signing. Another, another, but really, it's like just do it. Just, I mean, I hate to sound like you know a Nike commercial, but seriously, you just have to. You can't be come paralyzed if you are are constantly worrying about it being perfect you're never going to fucking do it you're never going to get it out there because you're constantly going to be worrying about nothing is going to be perfect Mm -hmm. and so i think that's a problem that a lot of people find and i mean how do you and we've talked about this before off the show like how do you overcome that how do you get past that 
constant nagging doubt of like, oh, this could be just a little bit better. Finally, you just got to say, forget it. I got to let this go and put it out there into the world. I think you kind of like, you can't, you can't care about necessarily what people think. Because mm-hmm. most of my stuff that I do put out there is really stupid when you think about it. But I, at least I'm putting it out there. I'm giving you options. I'm, I'm staying relevant. But with that said, like I said, I am a perfectionist. I do want to put the best stuff out there. But, you know, you can't wait. You can't have any regrets. You just got to keep churning it out. I always think about how far along in my career I am. And I was like, man, I want more. But if I look up, look at it and analyze where I am to other people, I'm like, I'm pretty far along. I've got to meet some cool people. I've got to do some pretty cool shows. But it's one of those things where you have to keep trucking. My wife always gives me crap. She'll be like, you know, you could do Conan O'Brien and do a great job. And the very next day, you'll want to do something else. And I think that's kind of the artist mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For any platform, I think you just want to stay relevant and put your best stuff out there. But you, I do think you have to put stuff out there continually just to stay relevant. So I, that's what I try to do. That's why I try to use social media. Try to post something at least once a week. You know, like if it's good or quality the slick news is kind of fun and i don't know it's just kind of something that i'm developing but i just i just try to read the reactions of the crowd what do they want what do they like and then go from there and i'm always it's always slick something slick news slick runs slick diet whatever but i'm just trying to attach i'm trying to be connected to it in some capacity and i you know i'm reaching people out in california out in new york people are aware of it and that's why I really am a big fan of you know the social media and the Facebook. I, I know as stupid and as dangerous that it is. Trust me, I teach high school. It's very dramatic, <laughs> but I think if you can use it as an entertainer, it's it's well worth it. So that's something I'm trying to utilize right now. That's why I always say that to people too. Is you can't you can never chase popularity. You can never try and like say I'm going to do this to be popular. I'm going to do this because oh I want to be on Conan or I want to do this or do that. You just do what you feel is right and what you feel like creating and do the best you can at it and then if it becomes successful great if it doesn't then at the very least you've got something that you're happy with um i tell people there's just a story that i always remember about max collins who wrote road to perdition okay well max like a couple of years before road to perdition comes out uh max and i it's around christmas time and we're both at uh bam well it's bam now it's yeah. borders back then and we're both doing we're doing a joint book signing and he's like he's on one side i'm on another side um you know we're just talking stuff like that and you know both of us did okay but i mean at times it was dead it was like the scene in spinal tap where they're like you know <laughs> um, you know blowing their nose and the tissues and yeah. stuff and people are like walking by him and everything and here's max Max Collins, who, you know, very successful author. He had a bunch of books out at the time and, and everything. And um, one of the books he's signing at that point was Road to Perdition. Okay. Well, nobody gave a crap about it then. But flash forward, like, three, two, three years later, all of a sudden, Road to Perdition, the movie's out. Tom Hanks is in it and everything else. Exact same spot. We're at Borders. Exact same spot. I go out to see him. He's doing a book signing there. There's literally a line out the door all the way to the parking lot mm-hmm. for him signing the exact same book that he was signing two years earlier that nobody gave a crap about. Yeah. It's an illusion. It's a strange phenomenon that people suddenly get grasp this herd mentality that like almost oh my god I've got to read this or I've got to look at this or encounter this when it was the exact same thing that was there before that they weren't programmed to look at and it's really weird and so 
did the book suddenly become better? No, it didn't. It was yeah. the exact same book that Max had written, and Max wrote that at the time to make himself happy and creatively fulfilled. He didn't write it to be successful. It just ended up becoming successful. And so... That is, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. If you continue along the same path that you want to travel as a creator, yeah. I think ultimately that becomes a lot more fulfilling. And I think part of that, too, is one thing I forgot to mention, is a lot of it is just sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, your buddy Max, it's just, it's you shouldn't go into this seeking fame or fortune. You should just do it because you want to do it. And a lot of it is, I know people that have finally gotten a late night spot after doing it for 12 years, yeah. 13 years. Yeah. You just got to be in the right place at the right time. And then eventually your road to perdition will get discovered. Mm-hmm. So I like to believe that if I just keep trucking, if I just keep having a good attitude, if I... Uh, Gary Goldman, who's been giving tips on Twitter, he's a great comic. He's like, if you if you're just nice and you just stick with it, uh, things will will eventually go your way. And I'm a firm believer in that. It's just a sometimes it's just a longevity game. I know people that have started. Uh, there was a local guy here who was doing it for a couple of months. Went out to L.A., got discovered by SNL, was on Saturday Night Live, and it was hard for me because this is the guy that I used to work with, and he used to come and open up for me. And here he is on Saturday Night Live, so I'm happy. Who is that? Uh, you could. Is Brooks Whelan. He was a local boy, uh, graduated from the University of Iowa, and I was just like, that's incredible. And he would call me and say, I just had lunch with Lauren Michaels, and here I am being like, that's cool. I just ate a whole bag of Doritos. You know, we had nothing... We had nothing to talk about, and I just, it was, it was a tough time in my life because I was happy for him, but nevertheless, I was jealous. But again, he put himself in a situation where things could happen. He went out to L.A., he got discovered. I, meanwhile, you know, was raising the kids and doing the teaching things. So I just think it's a matter, you just got to stick with it. And also, Brooks has helped me. He's, he's, when we went to New York, he gave me some great shows. Uh, he got me on a show with like eight comics. Colin Jost went after me, who's the head writer for Saturday Night Live. Uh-huh. It was a thrill to walk off stage. Colin Jost shakes my hand. He's like, oh, I really like that Ninja Turtle joke. And I'm like, I didn't want to let go of his hand. I'm like, what does this mean? Can you take me? In? So he's put me in great spots. So it's like, you keep your friends close. And... You- you just make connections anywhere you go, and like I said, that the Mark guy that does my camera work, you, you know, you have such a great platform. I try to, I try to be friends with you. You know, I don't want to, but I just think <laughs> you have a. <laughs> You said it was uncut, right? <laughs> I don't want to be friends with you, Sean, but no, you know. Is this I, for me right now, Sean? <laughs> you can tell it's excruciating, Chris. I, basically, yeah, so I just try to hang out with the right people. I, I just want you to get me on Paul's. So you're saying you want to. You, you, tip number one from Chris Schlichting is be a suck up. <laughs> exactly. You look, I love that sweater, Sean, by the way. It looks great. So, yeah, just anybody that you, you, want, to surround your, you want to surround yourself with creative people. That's what. That, that's what I wanted to say. That and that is true. That is good advice. I always say that to people too. Is like surround yourself with people who are high achievers and people who are actually doing things instead of constantly talking about things that they're going to do. I agree. Because when you're around the people that are constantly talking about all the stuff that they're going to do, which invariably they don't do, then all they do is they want to drag you down. Because it's a lot easier to drag people down than it is to build yourself up. So it's a lot easier for people to bitch and moan about this person who's trying to do, Jesus, did you see that video? Did you hear that podcast? Did you see that? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, what are you doing? Nothing. You're sitting around like bitching and moaning about everybody else and that's why it's a lot better to be around people that are trying to achieve things yes. whether or not those things are, are are completely successful artistically at least they're trying to do them mm-hmm. and they're moving forward because you know 
I mean, you know, every success is built on previous failures. Mm -hmm. It's looking at what didn't work and changing it and looking at what did work and building upon Mm -hmm. it. And that's so important in regard to that. Now, given that, what are some things that you would tell? Like, say you got, I mean, you're a high school teacher. You got kids in your class who want to become stand-ups. They're like, this is really cool, et cetera. What would you tell them? What kind of advice? What different um, pieces of advice you would give to people who are just uh, starting out? I've gotten so much advice over the years, and one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was don't take advice. Kind of find your own way, do your own thing, which I think comes in handy, but with that said, there are some other pieces that I like. Write every day. You can write. You you may not be able to control how much work you get or getting discovered, but you can control how much you write. Are you really putting in the effort? Uh, it's like you know, if you want to be successful in sports, you got to work out, you got to practice, you got to lift weights. The same with writing. You also got to get up and perform, even if it doesn't go well. Go to open mics. A lot of people always say, "Why do you still go to open mics?" Because this is my way to sort of see if a joke works. But you can always write. You can always be a student. I, I personally don't like to like like to watch a lot of comics because two things. One, I start to emulate them like subconsciously. I was going through a period of time where I was sounding very much like Jim Gaffigan. Uh-huh. You know, I with my cadence and stuff. So I try to eliminate that. And then two, I get really jealous. Like I watch these comics and I'm like, oh, I want that. So, but nevertheless, it's still important to be a student of comedy and put yourself out there. Travel. You know, when you first start out, you got to be willing to travel. I was traveling to South Dakota for like 50 bucks sometimes to get mic time but you want to experience you know the city chicago is very close to us you just want to put yourself in different situations and see how your your act holds up and then also i record every set i do and then i'll listen to it Im- immediately afterwards which is painful because <laughs> because you know what they say about playing south dakota if you can make it there you can you can make it in north dakota <laughs> exactly i'm almost ready i'm almost ready <laughs> i'm almost ready for fargo exactly. i'm big in boise <laughs> but uh which is in idaho i've not done idaho i should i should taper back a little bit but yeah i don't know it's you know what bottom line is if you if you really push out push you know if you really push it and push yourself you can have a lot of success and i know a lot of comics that have which is frustrating to me because a lot of it too is you gotta like i said location is key you gotta put yourself in situations uh, i don't know anybody in the in the quad cities comedically that is still here that is having a lot of success so unfortunately when you're ready you do have to eventually move i'm raising kids i'm waiting for them to turn 18 and as soon as i do i'm hitting the road divorcing my wife and hitting california as soon as i can (laughs) not all that's true but uh it it is funny because you you, have you ever been out to la or new york yeah i was just there this past summer it's crazy my dad lives in new york and i I grew i didn't grow up around here i grew up my mom lives in chicago my dad lives in new york and um i went to school at usc and i was out in la this past summer went drove from the quad cities out Mm -hmm. to san diego for my birthday and went through vegas and la and denver and boulder and it's really really fun i was always so intimidated of it growing up and then within the last five years we've been to la twice new york twice and you know on our summer vacations me and my wife would go and i'm like dang i it's not that bad, but unfortunately, I don't want to raise kids there. But it's ultra expensive, and the it's it's 
so, the traffic is such a pain in the ass. Traffic is awful. Uh, the cost of living is mega high. Mm-hmm. The weather, of course, is absolutely gorgeous. And really, LA is like it's like any place, even the Quad Cities. It's like it's, uh, any big city. It's a microcosm of smaller cities that all just happen to be coagulated around one another. It's a lot of neighborhoods just kind of built upon one another and built upon one another until it's this gigantic mass of mm-hmm. like three million people. But really, you know, it is just like you know, people in the Quad Cities are like, oh, I don't want to go to the other side of the river or blah 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 if you grow up in a big city it's all one big city but it's kind of the same thing where you can go from one side of la to the other and it's like an hour and a half you know so i guess it was fun just to experience it and i did sets out there and just to realize not that my material is strictly midwest but you do kind of worry like maybe i'm just catering to my midwest audience but to go out there and hold my own in new york and la makes me feel like oh i could have done this and you know i still can I, I just really that's why I'm a firm believer of the uh, the social media putting yourself out there traveling um but unfortunately, I think I always tell these young comics why you are young, why you don't have any attachments. Go struggle out in New York. You know, you, you might have to work, you might have to bust tables, but you're willing to pay for that. Even Chicago, go struggle in Chicago. I know a lot of Chicago comics that have eventually made the jump to LA or New York. But unfortunately, you know, for me to, I'm flattered that I'm being interviewed. I do consider myself a comedian, but I'm also a teacher. It's like I'm not. I'm not really doing what I want to be doing because I still I still teach and stuff like that. But eventually the dream would be to do comedy full-time and, you know, make a living off of it. But unfortunately, Sean, with the kids, you know what it's like. You know, I have a kid. You want to be with your kid all the time. But sometimes to pursue this art, you have to do a little bit of traveling. You have to sacrifice a little bit of parental time. But I'm also a firm believer in, you know, my dad was an electrician. He worked his butt off. And he put food on the table, a roof on our heads. But I was like, is that what you wanted to do, Dad? I think part of this, too, is me doing comedy is I'm showing my kids that Dad's still going to pursue his dream, just like I want you guys to pursue your dream. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Like, I want them to see their father doing what he wants to do. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm the same way with my son, where, you know, I want to be a good role model for him and want to be... Um, want to show him how to live you know a, a life where you can be happy and creatively fulfilled and do what you want to do while also be responsible too I mean because you got to you got to balance the two especially when you're a parent when you're single you can go like you know you can live on ramen for three months sure. and live in a crappy apartment and do all that kind of stuff but when you've got kids and you've made that decision you've got to be a responsible human being and take responsibility for the people you built you brought into the world so um, it is it's a very different thing, but it is interesting to try to balance the two to just show your kids. Because I think, like, you know, our parents were not like that. I mean, you know, the generations prior to us, it was more like, yeah. You might have had a dream when you were younger, yeah, but, you know, you, you got to forget about it now. Whereas I think there's more of a balance now. I think, you know, um, from, like, Generation X on, you started to see where we're starting to balance things out a little yeah. bit more. Where, yeah, you can be a parent, but you can also kind of... Mm-hmm. do things that make you creatively fulfilled and you yeah. can try and do you know the different things that and show your kids that that's possible yeah. as well and i definitely think you know I, I started off this podcast talking a lot about the quad cities kind of crapping on it but i really the quad cities has definitely grown since the time i've lived here and it's definitely becoming more you know artistic i think sean Mueller does a lot with the music scene you know there's a lot of people that the, you know, it's becoming more artsy, and which I love. 
despite the fact that there's no comedy club, there's still a way to find a creative outlet. And I think the Quad Cities is becoming a more creative uh, staple and outlet. And that's why I'm sure that's what you promote on your website and stuff. Yeah. And that's what it's out there. You just have to kind of find it. And like I said, if it's not, let's cre- let's create it. Let's do something. Right. And that's what I'm kind of trying to do with like this Renwick Mansion show is I'm just trying to find comics that are passing through people that I befriended and saying, hey, this is a cool venue. It's haunted, supposedly. Uh-huh. Once you come in, uh, we'll give you the door and you can have a place to stay. And there's nothing better for a traveling comic than a place to stay. So, you know, I am see it. I have local comics on and the owners of the mansion, Dane and Sarah, are just phenomenal. They love it. They're always trying new things. And it, it originally we just started, we were just going to do one show and then people, it kind of became in demand. People wanted to do more of it. So it's something that I'm really proud of. I always promised myself, Sean, that I would never book shows or teach comedy because <laughs> I always felt that that was me kind of giving up on the dream. But this is such a low maintenance labor of love it's it's pretty easy just to put it together and it's self-sufficient and stuff i don't even have to be there sometimes and it's just there's a lot of local comics that i trust that can run it smoothly so so give us the website and how people can get information on these upcoming shows at the Randwick. Okay, so my website is www.schlickcomedy.com, S-C-H-L-I-C-K, comedy.com. And then you can look the Renwick Mansion up on Facebook, and you can see upcoming shows. Uh, you can look up me, Chris Schlichting, on Facebook, and that's where you can get all the information on upcoming shows and stuff like that. Cool. Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off for the podcast? I have to sneeze, so we <laughs> You'd like to add that? You've been holding it in all this time? <laughs> no, I appreciate you having me on the show, and hopefully this will be a huge success, and I can quit my job, and <laughs> what's so funny? <laughs> don't, don't, don't bank on the podcast making you quit your job, Chris, but I hope, that, I hope things work out for you. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thanks so much, and thank you for listening. This is Sean Leary. That was Chris Schlichting, my latest guest on QC Uncut, Uncut, and Edited, Uncensored Conversation with Local Newsmakers in and around the Quad Cities. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hope you have an awesome day.